Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Good morning, church. Am I on? Yep. Okay. I always have trouble with the mics. Um, good morning. I am so excited to be up here. And there is a fleet of kids that just went back and their parents with them. Um, but I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Katie Simbersky. I have the honor um, of being on the teaching team here at Church 214. Um, I also work for Youth for Christ as the site director for Limestone High School. Shout out to my students that are here today. Um, I'm also a mom and a wife and so many other things. <laughs> the list would keep you here until lunch. Um, but the Lord just reminded me this morning that we often get so wrapped up in the things that we are called to do that we miss him working in those things and in and through us. And um, when I was doing my devotional this morning, it said, Sometimes the hard things that he has called us to do can cause us heartache. Um, But then the next line was, do you trust me? And so I'm so excited um, to give you the word that he has put on my heart today. It's a really deep and personal one. um, But I have never felt so at peace in my entire life. So get ready for this morning. I hope you're awake. Um, If you weren't here last week, or if you're visiting or new to our church, Heidi kicked us off uh, our Miss series with a message on women in ministry. And if you weren't here, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, Very powerful, incredible message. Whether you're a man or a woman, um, take a listen to it, because it encouraged my heart as I prepared to get up here today and preach. And it just shows that God is in the details of everything that he does, because Heidi preached last week, I preach this week, and then Heather preaches next week. So you get three weeks straight of women preachers. And I don't know if that has ever happened in the history of our church. So um, Heidi, well done, and thank you for being obedient to the Lord and encouraging my heart as I prepared um, to preach this week. It really blessed me. Um, Leading up to this message, Over the past few months, I have suffered from extreme anxiety and depression, something that I've never really struggled with in my life um, before, or at least something that I didn't think I'd struggled with. And I was this close to texting Heather and telling her um, I wasn't going to be able to get up here and do it. Um, But I'm just so thankful that when I doubt myself and my calling and I let the enemy feed me lies, Um, the Lord comes back stronger with his truth and that. And so I was doubting my ability um, because this is a fairly new thing for me to do. Um, But it's funny, in the past week, I've preached three different messages. So obviously it's something I'm called to do. Um, But these topics in our Miss series, they're heavy and they're difficult things to talk about. And I feel like that's why they're left in the dark and they're missed by the church because there's like a stigma of us as Christians that we don't want to have conflict. And so we miss the hard things because they're messy and difficult. And Heidi said this last week, and I loved it so much. Um, and I think we'll probably repeat it every week. But debate is not the heartbeat of the Father. And so these words that the God has put on our hearts 
It's to show what his heart is for the church. And he doesn't want us to get up here and debate issues with you. But he wants you to know that his heart is for unity, love, peace, and that he would be glorified and his grace would be extended to all people. So before we dive in this morning, I want to pray. Father, I thank you so much for a room full of people, um, for people listening on the podcast, their willingness to show up um, and be in church this morning. It's so easy for us to stay home, God, but it's even harder to show up um, and be surrounded by people, especially when we're walking through difficult things. And so I just pray that the hearts of the people in this room and the people listening to this message would be softened, that you would give them ears to listen, God, and that freedom would be found in this place this morning. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I'm going to be talking about abortion. It's a topic that I believe is very under-talked about, and we leave it in the dark because it's messy and it brings conflict. It's a very personal message to me, and in preparing for this message, um, I've had about six months to prepare, which is a long time. Shout out to all the people who preach every week because I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> um, but, no, not yet. <laughs> I had to let my heart really be pruned because when I initially said yes to this date and this topic, I thought I knew I had everything planned out that I wanted to say um, because my heart has been hurt by the church in this issue. And not one church specifically, but the Big C Church as a whole. And so... I wanted to speak out in my flesh against all the hurt and the fence that I have felt. Um, So the Robert Madu message that we listened to, Get Over It, was really timely as well because it helped prune out the little bit of flesh that was left in this message um, so that God's word could be spoken today. And it's a very hot political topic, and I'm not up here to debate it. Um, Please leave politics at the door today. Because today's message is to encourage the church to be the people we are called to be. And I went back and forth on whether or not I wanted to share some statistics on abortion. Because it's so much bigger than the numbers. And we could look at the numbers that I'm going to share and then just move on. Um, But if you really listen closely, they're heartbreaking. 60.1 million abortions have been performed since 1973. 60.1 million. That's almost an entire generation that never had life on earth. That's an entire generation who didn't walk out their callings that God has placed on their life. That's at least 120.2 million lives that have been affected if you only um, look at the life of the baby and the mother. Um, But men are included in this just as much as women because it takes two to tango. (laughs) And so I want to put that there out there because um, I know personally in my life, my husband was just as much as affected by this as I was. Even though I was the one who physically went through it, he emotionally went through it as well. Um, So think about how that number grows as you add in the men and the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles. It can just keep going and going and going. And it's so big that we, that we miss it. We miss the lives of the, or the people's lives that are affected by one choice. On average, 1.2 million abortions are performed a year. 
one in three women will have an abortion. So statistically speaking, that means I'm not the only woman in this room who has experienced this. And just like I said, that means one in three men. If there's one in three women, there's one in three men that have been associated with this. And so my husband is not the only male. In 2017, Planned Parenthood performed 332,757 abortions and only 2,831 adoption referrals. It's the most common procedure, sur common surgical procedure performed in the United States. More than four in 10 women, so essentially half of women who have received abortions were going to church at the time of their abortions. And this is the hardest one for me to hear. Only 7% of post-abortive women have discussed their abortion decision with someone at their church. 7%. And we could look at these numbers as just numbers, um, but I want to make it a little more personal. Almost seven years ago, I was newly 18 and had been dating a boy for about three months. Spoiler alert, he's now my husband. What's up, babe? Um, to be honest, we'd been having sex since the beginning of our relationship. And like most teenage mindsets, we thought we were invincible. So we weren't really thinking anything would happen with the choices that we were making. Um, and I thought I was invincible until we found out I was pregnant. And we are lost and confused, ashamed, scared. And I just want to put this out there. We had people in our lives that would have pointed us in a better direction than the choice that we made. Um, but we let our feelings of being afraid and ashamed cripple us and push us into um, the choice to have an abortion. And since I've experienced healing, um, specifically over the past two years on this topic, um, on this part of my life on the topic, I can remember that day so vividly. And before um, I started walking through healing, I had suppressed so much that all I can remember is being dropped off um, at the abortion clinic, which is right down the street from our church, and going into a recovery room. There's nothing in between that I could remember for the longest time. Um, but God is just so good to me, and through some healing, I can look back on that day, and it's not as painful, because I can see Jesus walking th with me through every minute of it. Um, so on April 6, 2013, I walked into a stale waiting room, and I was handed a pile of paperwork, and I handed over an amount of money that at 18 was a big amount. $500, that's still pretty big. I could think of so many better ways to use that amount of money. Um, but I handed it over, and then I was ushered, in, ushered into a room, um, and an ultrasound was performed. And now typically, um, the screen is turned away so that you can't see it, but I don't know if I was just being nosy or if it was like turned just a little towards me, but I could see just a tiny blimp of a baby, blip of a baby on the screen. 
And it's funny that when I look back on that, I knew in that moment that that was a baby, that that was my child. Um, but the abor abortion industry te treats pregnancy like a curable disease. And so the word baby or embryo and fetus aren't really used when um, in these situations. When you walk through those doors, they just talk about your pregnancy and how you are terminating your pregnancy. And so it's treated like a curable disease. After the ultrasound, um, I was given a hospital gown to change into and a bag for my clothes. And I can remember that the hospital gown was pure white. And it I felt like it almost mocked me because in that moment I did not feel like I was pure and white anymore because I knew what decision I was making. I then sat in a waiting room with 20 other women, maybe more, um, and there was an uncomfortable silence and lack of eye contact, which is crazy to me to think about now. Um, in that moment, it was just uncomfortable and weird, and, but looking back on it, um, everyone was making the same decision I was that day. And no one was talking, no one was looking up. It was heads down like this, and phones weren't even a thing, really. And so it's not like people were consumed by their phones. I just feel like there was so much shame that even someone else who was sitting right next to you that was about to make the same decision couldn't look you in the eyes. Um, after what felt like hours and hours and hours, my name was called and I was taken back to a procedure room, given a medication that makes you feel like groggy. Um, really, it's just to relax your body because your body's natural tendency is to um, resist what is going on and to fight back. And so um, the medication more than anything isn't for pain, but just to relax your body. And as I laid there, um, I just started silently crying and tears were rolling down my cheek. And the nurse looked at me and she said, it's going to be okay. Almost too like happy about it, if that makes sense. Like no sympathy in her voice, just like it's going to be okay, kind of nonchalant. And I can remember the bit of pain and discomfort that I felt as my child's life was taken out of my body. And just as quickly as that happened, I was sat up and moved into a recovery room, still groggy um, and not, not feeling normal. Um, I was given crackers and Sprite and then told to call my ride and change my clothes. Um, and there was so much waiting and anticipation and hours that led up to probably 30 minutes and there was no comfort um, in the recovery room. There was just as much silence surrounding me um, as there was in the waiting room prior to the procedure. And the car ride home was silent. Um, Thomas picked me up, but I didn't know what to say in that moment, and so I just let it be quiet, which I'm sure um, probably wasn't helpful for him. And in the night, in days, and weeks, and months, and years to follow, I have cried countless tears 
over one decision that I made that will forever mark my life. And I spent five years in darkness, letting darkness claim this part of my past. And for five years, um, the only person I talked to about it was my husband, and that was rare. And I'm so thankful for him because even though we didn't talk about it, he still did his best to try and protect my heart. He would purposely um, not go past the clinic on a Saturday morning because he knew how deeply hurt I was by seeing protesters outside. And I'm, I'm just so thankful for him. I've, in preparing for this, I cried so many times trying to get through that part because in my five years of silence, I was still loved and seen by him. And I was still loved and seen by the Father. But there was one day I decided I couldn't keep this part in the dark anymore. And I was sitting on a friend's couch, and we were just talking about parts of our lives that have been difficult and in the dark. And neither one of us can remember um, really how this conversation came to be. Um, but it's something that I thought she already knew about me. And it's something that I kind of think for years, I always figured people assumed that, um, I just assumed people knew this about me. Um, and I was encouraged by her at leading up um, to the five-year mark of that day to just write everything out. And so it took me a while, but I wrote it all out, and I sent it to a few people that I trusted. Because for me, um, sometimes just writing things out and sharing them with people is better than having to say it face-to-face, -face, and that's totally okay um, if that's you too. Eventually, you have to have the face-to-face -face conversation, but it's kind of just getting that initial uncomfortableness out of the way. And now, um, it's nothing of me, but it's God using a painful part of my past to bring him glory. Because I have the boldness and the confidence now to share it with others. Um, and I've allowed healing to come, even though it's been painful and hard. It's like working out when you're sore. It's a good pain. It means progress is happening. And God has just shown me what his heartbeat is on this topic. And how we can live more like Jesus and loving people better. Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Church, abortion is from the enemy, and it thrives in darkness and denial and deceit. And whether that is for post-abortive women and men, or women who find themselves in crisis pregnancy situations, Let's bring truth to light and take back the ground that the enemy thinks he has a hold of. Let's be people who speak truth in hard places, but also show people the goodness and the grace that the Father has for them. John 12, 46. I have come into the world as light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If your butt is sitting in one of these chairs this morning, or you're hearing this on the podcast, and you believe in Jesus, you don't have to stay in darkness. Let me repeat that. You don't have to stay in darkness. If you love Jesus, and you're letting a part of your past or present sit in the darkness, 
because you're too ashamed to bring it into the light, then you aren't believing what God's truth says, what God's word says to be true. And that's a hard truth to hear. He came for you. He came for me. And he came into this world as light so that no one who believes in him should stay in darkness. And are you believing that for your own life or the life of a loved one? The church has let this be a political topic for too long. We haven't taken steps forward. Instead, we've let Christian organizations and ministries do the job that we're supposed to be doing. More people find Planned Parenthood a safe place to go when they find themselves in a crisis pregnancy situation than the church. And that breaks my heart. Too often we let politics and the black and whiteness of a situation cloud our ability to step out and love people whose sin looks different than ours. Church change is not going to happen because we vote one way or the other. It's not going to happen by giving our money towards pro-life movements or Christian organizations that are pro-life. And don't get me wrong, I support those things 100% because they're great and they are sparking change. But that's the job of the church. And there are phenomenal Christian organizations that are helping women and men make the decision to keep their children and provide them with the resources they need to raise them. But change is going to happen when the church steps up to be the church. And I fully believe from my own personal experience that a church in Peoria, Illinois will be the ones to initiate change because we are talking about the hard things. We are willing to have open and honest conversations, not just from stage on a Sunday morning, but on Tuesday morning in a living room or on a Friday night sharing a meal with people in our home. Change is going to happen when we step and love people not only where they are right now, but for where they have been. Change is going to happen when a youth group leader is talking to a student and that student shares with them that they're having sex and they don't want to make that decision anymore. And that person encourages them. Change is going to happen when we aren't standing outside of abortion clinics with signs protesting what is happening on the inside of the doors. But we show up and we speak truth and give grace before people even walk through those doors. Or we're meeting people at the back door who have just made one of the most painful decisions of their life. And we're loving them well. Change happens when we stop using painful words like evil, murderers, baby killer, etc. And instead we use words like grace, love, redeemed, free. Change is going to happen when we get so good at loving people that the unwed single mom who walks through our doors will feel overwhelmingly loved. That the family who feels like they financially can't afford another child is going to feel supported and loved by their church. Church, look at the people sitting among you. All of our sin struggles and past look way different from each other. But how, and how much do we actually know about each other? What things are we letting the enemy keep a hold of because we're letting them stay in the dark? It wasn't until I brought the darkest parts of my past to the light that I truly started walking in who God called me to be. 
And I allowed myself to stay in chains, invisible chains. And that felt so real to me. Keep me back from doing what God called me to do. And I thought that if I kept silent about my past, everything would be okay. That I could just keep living my life. And eventually I'd get over it. Without realizing, I was only letting my, allowing myself to walk so far. Because when you're in chains, you can't go out and do what God called you to do. You're in like a box. You're in a prison cell. And when I read that 60.1 million abortions since 1973, think about the men and the women associated with that number. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people potentially not walking in what God has called them to do because part of their story is kept in the dark because the church is being silent about it. Church, let's be better about this, not only on the topic of abortion, but in all areas. There is a stigma set on the church as Christians that say we are judgmental and harsh and rude, and that just didn't come about. People have experienced those things from the church. Let's be better about living in the tension of grace and truth. Are we practicing love? Are we willing to be the face of Jesus to someone else, even if their sin or past looks different than ours? Are we willing to speak truth in the tough places, but also give grace? Because the same gospel that is true for you is true for the, everyone else in the world. And I think we forget that so often. The same gospel that is true for me is true for Isaac Schaefer. The same gospel that is true for me is true for Peyton. And it goes on and on and on. There's not, God is constant. He never changes. And we don't want to step into the messy parts of someone else's lives, or we don't want to share the messy parts of our lives. And so we ignore this. We let pride hold us back from being vulnerable with other people. We're letting things stay in the dark and letting the enemy have a hold of them instead of bringing them into the light. Five years ago, Seven years ago, when I made that decision, I thought that if I shared that with anyone else, they would view me as the worst person in the world. And when I finally had the courage and the strength, and it was just this much, like barely any, it was just pushing send on an email. It just takes a little bit. I've experienced freedom like never before in my life. And I believe the enemy wanted to keep me in darkness because he knew all of the wonderful things God has called me to, even in the smallest of things. He knew that God would be glorified through my story because it's nothing of me. It's all of him. He takes the darkest parts of our life 
and he turns them around and he uses them for his glory. A few weeks ago, I was at a conference for work. And the morning of the last session, um, I was wanting to leave early and come home. Actually, the night before, I was wanting to leave early and come home. Um, it had been the first time in my life that I had been away without Thomas or my family. I can think of one other time, and it was with, for a work trip with Peyton, and so I don't count that as being away on my own. Um, and I was feeling pretty homesick, and I had been battling anxiety and depression, and I kind of felt that worsening. And when I told um, my husband and two close friends that I was thinking of coming home a day early, they encouraged me to stay. And I hadn't made up my mind yet. I was going to ride home early with Ryan, but then he offered someone else a ride home and had hockey stuff in his back seat, so there wasn't room for me, which is really just God, because Ryan stopped and bought hockey equipment on the way to our conference. So I couldn't leave early. I had to stay and ride home with everyone else. And I act like I made the decision to stay, but really it was just God working in the details and forcing me to stay because he had something for me that morning. It was during the worship set. Um, so within like the first five minutes that I realized why he had me stay there. And we're going to close um, with this song today. It's an oldie, but I love it. It's one of the first songs that really pierced my heart when we started coming to church here about four years ago. And one of the verses says, from my mother's womb, you have chosen me. And a few weeks ago when I sang those words, I unexpectedly started sobbing out of nowhere. So hard that I had to sit down. And I stopped singing and I just sat and I listened and I was overwhelmed by the comfort I experienced in that moment. A comfort I had never experienced before. And that comfort came from knowing that even though I didn't choose that child, his heavenly father still chose him. And even though I have a messy and dark past, he still chooses me too. And he chooses you despite all of the mistakes you've ever made. And no matter what sin struggle you have, he chooses you. And he's chosen you since the beginning of time. So take comfort in the Father's love for you. And let that fill you up so that you can go and you can love other people well. My heart is that what was in the dark will find healing in the light. And if this is you today, and you've never shared this part of your past with anyone, I just pray, I want you to pray, I'll be praying too, that you would ask God to give you a friend that you can trust. Um, ask God to give you the boldness and the courage and the strength to be vulnerable. And it's painful, but it's a good pain. It's a healing pain. Because he wants you to walk in freedom. He wants you to walk in freedom from whatever is keeping you back from fully experiencing him. 
He wants you to walk in the freedom of who he has called you to be. And church, that starts with us creating a culture of transparency because the Father's heart is for community and freedom. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim all the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's worship.